0: Again, good afternoon. We're glad you're here. I'm glad you're here to be uh, worshiping the Lord with us. Glad you're here to be working through the book of Philippians. And we've been doing that. I want to give you a little more context on it as we go through this. It, it helps to really understand what's happening here. You might remember the Apostle Paul. He's the one who wrote this book. He was on his way to Damascus at one point in his life and he was out persecuting Christians because he, he hated Christianity. He hated everything that it stood for and he was out to squash it. And on his way to Damascus, on the road to Damascus, he ends up meeting the the resurrected Lord Jesus. And from that moment everything in his life changes. Uh, Everything. At this point he begins to travel along. He's a bit of a a missionary and a church planter and he's traveling from city to city and he's spending enough time in each place to really establish these churches before he'd move on to another place. Churches for for worship and churches to carry on the work of spreading the gospel. However, as he writes this letter, he's sitting in a Roman prison waiting to find out what's going to happen to him. And he doesn't know what's going to happen to him. He writes this, and he's under the watch of Roman guards. Uh, Today, as we read this, I just try to picture that, where he is. Just sitting there, unable to go, kept there, uh, against his will. The frustration that he'd feel and such. Philippians chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 12 and read through verse 18. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of my brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, Knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel, the former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So if you remember, Paul helped establish the church in Philippi. This is where he told the gospel to a woman named Lydia that was was out washing her clothes or dyeing clothes. Uh, And she was the first to believe the gospel in that city. He would have known other people there as well, and and they would have been wondering, what's going on with Paul? Uh, They know he's left. They're a little concerned. Today, info is easy for us to get, right? If you want to know something about someone, you call them on the phone. You FaceTime them. Uh, You email them, you text them, or you just Facebook stalk them. There are so many ways that we can get information about people today. Uh, We can have it first hand knowledge very quickly. In in Paul's day, communication was a little slower. Uh, People received info in one of two ways. Uh, The first would be word of mouth. As people traveled, they would show up and they'd share questions. They'd ask, you know, what have you heard about this person? It's almost like a, a high school reunion and you go back and they're, you know, last I heard, Bob was down in Arkansas selling rabbits somewhere. That kind of information. I think the second way that that information was, was transferred was by letters, handwritten letters that were then delivered by someone who was traveling. That's what the book of Philippians is. It's a letter from Paul to the church in Philippi who must be concerned about him, his welfare, what's going on. Uh, they're concerned about his health, his safety, his, the status of his trial, what's happened about this. But they're also concerned that his being under the Roman rule would have prevented him from ministering, from spreading the gospel in the way that he desired to do so, in the way that they desired him to do so. And so Paul being in a a Roman prison was really not what they had in mind. This wasn't the plan. Uh, The reality was he should be out spreading the gospel, and yet here he is sitting in prison. In verses 2 and 13, Paul writes this. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. That word really in our text tells us that what he's about to share is completely unexpected. The expected result of Paul being in chains is that the spread of the gospel would be stopped. What has really happened then is that it served to advance the gospel. This word, advance, comes from a a compound Greek word. One word meaning to to go in front of, or to go before, and the other one, to chop down. It's really a military word, and it meant to to blaze a trail where there was not one before. The military would use this way of blazing trails so that the troops could follow behind them, following the path that has been made and wasn't there before. Paul is pointing out here that God has used his being in prison to blaze a new trail for the gospel. To spread it widely, and to places, and to people where it's never been before. And so how did Paul's crummy situation help him advance the gospel? Well, the imperial guard, who was, has watch over him, is this, this massive group of people. These were the official guards for the Roman emperor. And you remember that, that Paul's not only in prison, but he's in prison unjustly. And, and I think about this, and I think... He could be writing to make sure that the church knows how unjustly he's been put in prison. You know, just to make sure his his name is clear. Or, or to complain about just how inept the government they live under is. Instead, in the midst of that frustrating situation, here's Paul and he's speaking about his Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you get the picture? He's chained to guards. He's seemingly wasting his life away in prison. Except he sees something we often miss. He sees that Even in this unjust and difficult situation, there is an opportunity to speak the truth of the gospel to those who desperately need it. And that means he had to forsake just grumbling or just complaining about this situation in which God has placed him. He had to forsake being angry at everyone who's part of the situation, keeping him in chains. I mean, I see this and I I wonder, how do you think you would do? How would you do in Paul's circumstance? How do you handle frustration? So I was looking at this. I asked myself that question, and if I'm honest, I'm really disappointed. I think about the way that I sometimes just respond to frustration without concern for the gospel but concern for myself. In fact, just a few days ago, we were in Kansas City, and we stopped to eat at a place called Freebirds. It's a burrito chain similar to Chipotle. I actually worked at one of those in college, and so I had a good understanding of it. And one of the things that used to be was you could, you could substitute your rice for sour cream for free. That was a free deal. That's what we've always done. They've so always ordered my burrito. So when I asked for that, they informed me we no longer do that. I, I told them that's a terrible decision because they care what I think. But I also felt inside that I immediately became frustrated at this new rule. Plus, I was real hungry, so that didn't help. But this new rule was, was somehow this injustice in my world. Somehow, in my heart, I'm thinking, I deserve to trade my rice for sour cream. And anyone who conspires to stop me is an enemy, and I will pour out my wrath on you. And, and you start to feel this just this anger over something so stupid. Praise God, then, that Lord reminded me it's not that big a deal, and this poor guy, this, this nice guy making your burrito has nothing to do with it. He doesn't want to ruin your life. And... and there's just this moment, you know, in that really dumb moment where I realize, you know what, my highest ambition in life was not the advance of the gospel. It was free sour cream. And this is dumb, but we're all going to face situations on a regular basis, and, and how we will respond is going to help us understand, you know, where our heart is in this. Is my life about the advancement of the gospel, or is my life about the advancement of myself? When John the Baptist was was speaking, once as people began to turn away from his ministry to Jesus, he said this in John three thirty: "He must increase, but I must decrease." That's the mentality we see in Paul. His life is about Christ. That's why, even in the midst of this suffering and frustration, he finds an opportunity to be a gospel witness. As Paul sits with these guards, there's no avoiding the fact that his life is on trial. Our faith is always being observed by others around us. For Paul, these guards were seeing his God given faith. They were seeing what it meant hour by hour, day by day, that he is a follower of Christ, that he is, believes in Christ. For us, our, our spouses, our roommates, our children, our friends, our classmates, our, our co workers, employees, and employers, they see the reality of our faith day by day, hour by hour, as they have observed the character of our lives. And as they observe that character, are they seeing the gospel advancing or are they seeing the gospel retreating? If someone follows you around tomorrow, what would they observe? Or rela- relaxing with friends, what do our conversations, what, what would they hear in our conversations? When that grumpy lady at the DMV is just out to ruin your life, how are you going to respond? Our Lord once said that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So I don't want you to see the way that Paul responds to this amazingly and think that you must somehow will yourself now to to respond rightly as well. First of all, you're going to fail sometimes. You're going to be rude. You're going to sin against somebody. And then when you calm down later, you're going to realize that what you did was wrong. It's in that moment that I want you to remember that, that even in failure, There's an opportunity for the work of God's grace in your life to be displayed. And so make a commitment to always go back and and seek forgiveness against those you've sinned against. That's what God calls us to do. And you'll be surprised at what a beautiful witness that is to those who receive it. Those who, who see you do this. The second thing at play here is that Paul knows there's nothing more important than the gospel. Nothing. He believes that. I mean, he really, really believes that. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 11 gives us a picture of what the gospel has done for us. It says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Did you catch that? We have been made the people of God so that we will proclaim the excellencies of God. You ever wonder why God doesn't rescue us out of the world the moment we believe the gospel? You ever wonder why, why Paul didn't just, poof, disappear immediately after the road to Damascus? Or Lydia... Bel- immediately after believing the words that Paul spoke to her? Or St. Augustine, after he believes the gospel in the garden, or even C.S. Lewis, as he he goes to the zoo, and all we know is he comes out and he believes the gospel. Why did he not just, poof, disappear? Why, when you believe the gospel, did God not remove you from the world? Because in the world, you're going to face pain and suffering and doubt and fear and frustrations of all sorts. And the answer is that, that God leaves us here that we might live lives as trailblazers who are advancing the gospel, proclaiming the excellencies of our Savior. And that's Paul in prison. Just imagine it. A new guard is brought to watch Paul. He could complain to the new guard. He could be bugging the new guard about when is my trial, when is this going to happen, about the injustice that he's facing, about how crummy this Roman government is. But he doesn't. He knows that for whatever reason, this is where God has him, and he's going to use this circumstance to speak the gospel to these these people, to just speak of his Savior. And so every time these guards change shifts, he's he's given a new audience to talk to about the mighty works of God. And the guard leaves, and the guard takes that gospel with him to to share with his friends, or, or maybe just to talk about with a stranger, or maybe another guard, did he say these things to you as well? So you may feel frustration at your boss or you may feel that your school responsibilities or the time it takes to take care of your children is is keeping you from finding opportunities to be used of God for the advancement of the gospel. Stop thinking that way. Wherever you are, whatever your circumstances, that is a God-given venue for the good news to advance forward. That is a venue for us to share what that Jesus has died for sinners just like us. So if you want to live that way, let me encourage you to to seek this to be true in your life. Advancement of the gospel should be our highest ambition. Not our only ambition, but our highest ambition. It is good to have ambitions. You desire to be a four-star general? Pursue it. Do you have a business idea that excites you? Go for it. Let's get started on it. You want to be the greatest employee McDonald's has ever seen? If that's what your ambition is, go for it. I I love seeing people that have dreams and are pursuing those dreams, but all of our ambitions in life should be second to seeing the advancement of the gospel. And so begin thinking, how do my current circumstances really serve to advance the gospel? That's going to be the question when you walk out of here today that you're going to need to think about. Or the next time you find yourself in a frustrating situation, I want you to ask yourself, how can I be used of God in this situation to advance the gospel? I I said frustrating, but this is true of all sufferings that we face of all kinds. Uh, One of my favorite stories in modern church history is about Jim Elliott. Uh, Jim set out with his friends to make contact with an unreached people group, uh, the Aka Indians in Ecuador, and this was a tribe that was very primitive. And so when they came in there, The tribe was very afraid of them, and they they took their spears, and they killed Jim Elliott and all all the people that were traveling with him. Uh, He left behind a wife and a child. How does a wife with a 10-month-old daughter respond to the people who murdered her husband? She believes the gospel. She believed that he died doing eternally significant work with the Aka Indians, and So she continued this ministry in the hope that the gospel would advance to the very people who killed her husband. Eventually, she decides to go back to that tribe. She goes with her three-year-old daughter, and she lives among this tribe. That's scary. I mean, that takes some serious God-given faith to go and do. And, And I'm worried about how socially awkward it might be if I talk to someone at work about Jesus. The result with Elizabeth Elliot was that many of the Aki Indians believed the gospel. And their sins are now forgiven. The children of the living God. Now, I'm not asking you to load up and move your tribe across the world. Though if you do that, we'll do our best to support you. I'm asking you to consider your place in Manhattan or wherever you live. I'm I'm asking you to look for ways to advance the gospel. Slowly, relationally, kindly, and yes, boldly. I think of the story in, in Mark 5. Uh, Really, it was our affirmation of faith today where the man is enslaved to a demon, comes to Jesus, and Jesus sets him free from this enslavement. And the man just wants to be with Jesus and get in the boat and go with him. Uh, And Jesus responds. He says, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and he began to proclaim the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. We're really not unlike that demon-possessed man we're enslaved to sin and in the gospel Jesus sets us free wouldn't it be great if we responded in a similar way if we proclaimed how often how how much the lord has done for us i think we often fear that that god conversation we we fear that moment when someone asks us about what do you believe oh so you're a christian what does that mean and i think we we fear it because we don't think we know how to put the gospel into words just last week, there was a, a high school camp that we, we helped put on with our, our presbytery, all the PCA churches in the, in the state of Kansas. On the mornings, we have these electives where students could come together and, uh, and we teach them something on one of the mornings. One of the class was a discussion group about how to talk about the gospel with someone. One of the first questions we asked the group was, have you ever made a quesadilla? And they gave us weird looks, trying to figure out, is that the real question? Is there another question? After a few weird looks, though, and once they were sure we really were serious, they began to answer the question. Uh, Yes, most of them had actually do it. And so then we began to ask them this, how do you make a quesadilla? Tell me about that. Uh, And they began to explain that to them. Uh, They had various different ways. The words were all different, uh, but they all explained the basic concept there's a tortilla, and there's cheese, and it's grilled. All the basic ideas were there. They could do this because they had experience making a quesadilla. And then we began to ask them, to really make this make sense for them, I hope, uh, was, can you explain the gospel in the same way? To not work from a memorized script, but to tell us about Jesus. Who is he? What did he do? What do you believe about him? Why do you think you're even a sinner? Why do you think your sin is forgiven. And so I'll ask you I mean, have you experienced the gospel? Have you believed it? If you have, then you're prepared. I do want us to be people who are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. Uh, and so when you go home, and I really mean this, uh, I'd really love for you to ask each other these questions. And and if it scares you and that's awkward, that's okay. Keep discussing it at home uh, until you're comfortable talking about Christ. Just ask these questions. Who is Jesus? What did he do? Why do you believe in him? Things of that nature. You'll be surprised. The more you do it, the more comfortable it actually becomes. One of the other results we see in our text from Paul's imprisonment is in verse 14. It reads, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul's imprisonment gives us hope to see God bring lost people to faith through proclaiming the gospel. It did the same for Christians in Paul's time. Uh, they saw that even though this cost Paul his freedom, it, it hasn't cost his joy. They're not afraid to be where he is, in, in prison. They also see something something else, and I, I want to show it to you. you've got your Bibles, turn to the last few verses of the book of Philippians. It's only four chapters. Chapter 4, verses 21 and 22. This is the end. After Paul writes this in letter we've read it once we're going to look at in great detail we get to the end in verse 21 he says this he says greet every saint in christ jesus for the brothers who are with me greet you all the saints greet you especially those of caesar's household did you catch that last person especially those of caesar's household that's a reference to the soldiers that paul has been boldly proclaiming the gospel to God has brought some of these soldiers to faith in Jesus Christ. I, I love hearing stories of, of how people have come to faith in Christ. I, I love hearing this because it shows us the way that someone in your life has, has cared for you. Someone in your life showed you what the gospel was and spoke to you the details of what the gospel is. And I love it because the more we hear these stories, the more we realize that God can take the hardest heart and make it soft for the gospel. And when we really know that, our boldness grows to see God work the miracle of faith in the lives of others. And so I hope you find rest and boldness in the truth that we're called to proclaim the gospel. We are. There's no getting around it. It's so clear in scripture. We are called to proclaim the gospel, but it's God who gives faith to believe it. Rest in that. Gain confidence in that. In verse 15 through 18, the topic shifts a bit. Let's let's read 15 through 17 again and then consider the situation a bit. Uh, It says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition not sincerely but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment often we we think about the early church as if it's perfect this is a good reminder that the first century church never lived in the the Garden of Eden what is clear in this is that there are relational problems in the early church too Paul is contrasting now these two groups Uh, the first group loves Paul they love Christ, they love others and so they're preaching the gospel That's good. Uh, The second group also preaches the gospel. But they don't seem to love Paul. They want to afflict him. They want to, um, that means cause him pain. They're jealous of Paul. And they're they're preaching for the sake of their own name. It's it's not that they don't believe the gospel. But their real motivation is selfish interest. It's building a name for themselves. It's like pastors who leave one church to join something larger in the hope that it will advance their career. Or those who love the praise that comes from fame in the Christian world. Unfortunately, it's all too common in our day. In chapter 2, Paul is is going to recommend Timothy. You remember young Timothy to the church in Philippi on account that he's not like these self-seeking people. Philippians chapter 2, 19 through 21 says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. I think we all face this temptation to be about our own interests. We have mixed motives. You know, there's been times in my life where I've stood up to preach here or somewhere else, and and I'm really concerned about what people think of me. Will they be impressed with my ability to to preach the word? That's not a right motive. And I ask God to take it away, yet... I'm thankful that even in moments like that, that the gospel is still preached. I want you also to notice that these people Paul is talking about are not heretics. I think we're real quick to want to throw them into that category. They're they're not proclaiming a false gospel. They're they're not the Judaizers that he's later going to talk about that are are preaching some sort of works-based gospel. These people are proclaiming the true gospel. However, shamefully, it's from selfish motives and with contempt for Paul. And Paul's response is is beautiful and selfless. You look at verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. There's a lot for us to learn here. Can we rejoice in the gospel being preached by those with selfish reasons or questionable methods? I mean, can you celebrate the advance of the gospel in another church here in town, even if we disagree with their methods or aspects of their theology? We should. It doesn't mean the differences aren't important. They usually are. How you believe God brings a sinner to faith is very important. It'll, it'll drive the way you worship and, and how you evangelize and how you raise your, your family and all sorts of things, but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't rejoice at people coming to believe the gospel in those churches and those campus groups, I think the temptation will be to be angry at some. Some who seem to be all about themselves or all about their own fame, or, or those that use methods that are less than biblical, those who seem to manipulate people using sales tactics. Whenever we have opportunity, we, we ought to lovingly correct these methods, that's for sure, but let us also rejoice in how God is still using the gospel proclaimed in these situations to bring about genuine repentance and faith in many. So don't hear me, Ron. There are churches proclaiming a false gospel today in this town, a false gospel that calls people to look into themselves for salvation rather than looking to Jesus Christ alone, or a false gospel that denies sin altogether. We won't rejoice in that because that's not the true gospel being proclaimed, but I know most of your stories, and I know that God has brought many of you to faith under teachers and organizations and methods that were less than biblical. You don't need to approve everything they've taught. But praise God and rejoice that the gospel was proclaimed. And I want you to understand this. The other Bible-believing, grace-proclaiming churches and, and campus groups in this town are not our enemy. And so pray for them. Pray for them as brothers in Christ. Let us rejoice at at God bringing men and and women to salvation. As we come to a close, I want to remind you of a few things. First, think about your current situations. Think about how they might be used of God to advance the gospel. That's a real question when you get out of here today. Um, Hopefully a situation you're dealing with has has already come to mind or, or a situation someone close to you is dealing with has already come to mind. Tonight, I want you to ask them, How do you think your your work situation or whatever situation it is could could be used to advance the gospel? Second, be praying. Be praying for each other as we look for ways to share the gospel. Out of love for God and out of love for others. And pray for specific people that God would be drawing them to himself. In John 6.44, Jesus is speaking and he says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So let's ask God to do that. You know those people in your life that that need the gospel. Pray for them. Pray that God would draw them to himself. And Pray also for the opportunity to speak the word to others. Ask God for boldness. Uh, The same way that Paul asked for it. We think of Paul as just being incredibly bold. Yet in Ephesians 6, he's, he's asking them, pray for me. Pray for boldness. Finally, I want to close with a line from a hymn written by Martin Luther. Luther fought for the true gospel of grace to be proclaimed to the people. It sparked the Reformation, but it also brought much suffering in his life. While many loved him, many also hated him and wanted to see him killed. He wrote a well known hymn that we sung recently called A Mighty Fortress Is Our God. I've always loved the last line of the hymn. I love it because it puts our lives as those who believe the gospel into a proper perspective. Listen to these words carefully. I'll read them, not sing them to you, because I don't sing well. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever.